ask not what your country tear down this wall. There is nothing wrong with America. He referred to my hands. If they're small, something else must be small. I guarantee you there's no problem. I guarantee I'm back. Thanks for listening again. I'm the Rogue. We've got a great show for you today. We have Jennifer Cohn joining us. She is an independent elections advocate and attorney, and she's written some outstanding pieces on her Medium blog and on her Twitter. Uh, so we'll be talking to her about the election, about elections, and about a secretive conservative Uber group called the Council for National Policy, which it's not something you want to hear about, but it's something you need to hear about. Uh, and that's kind of the way I would view everything Jennifer writes. It's not something you want to read, but it's something you have to read. Um, really important stuff. So we're going to be talking with her. Uh, but first, I'd like to discuss just a little bit about the Supreme Court selection, which happened earlier this week. We have a new nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, filling Anthony Kennedy's seat. Um, and it's bullshit. I'm sure you think the same thing. It's fucking horseshit. Uh, not mainly because of Anthony Kennedy arbitrarily stepping down for reasons that are still unknown, but connections which we do know. Connections to Deutsche Bank, connections to the Trump family. It's disheartening. But what it really, what really pisses me off about this particular SCOTUS pick, well, really about Gorsuch, too, is that we have to accept both of them as if this is just the way it is, even though we didn't get the one we were supposed to get in Merrick Garland. Now, we have to sit here and just say, okay, Mitch, okay, Mitch McConnell, you do what you like to do, and just stomach it, and listen to them call us hypocrites when we try to you know, just speak up about this. I don't, I don't know what's going on in this country. I want to know, but I don't know what really is happening. Where we've gotten to this point where there's basically just no rule of law. The Republicans do what they want. They do whatever they want. And they tell us to go fuck ourselves. Sorry, we're, you don't get your justice. We get two. I mean, I'm constantly talking about hypocrisy, but the the hypocrisy that we're seeing right now, it's just, it, there's probably another word for it because we're, we're past the point of just standard political warfare. What Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and the Republicans have done to this country is nothing short of criminal and treasonous. And the fact that we can sit here today and not say, tomorrow I'm marching out in the streets again. Tomorrow I'm marching out in the streets again. Tomorrow I'm marching out in the streets again. It's, that to me is shameful because that's where we should be. We should be standing up to these people. And that goes for myself too. Our lives are too comfortable for us to really want to do anything. And I think that they know that. I think that Mitch McConnell knows and Donald Trump knows, as long as we keep a carrot in front of people, 
they won't really say anything, and we can keep dismantling things behind the scenes. So, you know, as I am frequently, I am just, I'm dismayed. I am dismayed. But I'm optimistic because we have the election coming up in November in which I hope all of these putrid, soulless, craven maniacs disappear. But we'll see. With that, I'd like to bring on my guest today. Her name is Jennifer Cohn. She is a independent elections advocate and an attorney, and she has a wonderful Twitter feed, at Jenny Cohn one and a Medium page uh, where you can find some outstanding articles that she's written um, about all kinds of things. Her focus is on election integrity, ballots, what we need to do to keep things fair and honest and not lose control. So, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, so um, you've done some really great work lately. Um, uh, as it applies to elections and who's really running the show. And I, I, I will link to this later, but um, we'll kind of first start by talking about the Council for National Policy. But before we get into that, um, tell us just a little bit about you and what you're up to and how you got into this. Sure. So um, I am an attorney. I After the 2016 election, I became concerned about the state of our election system because there had been reports about Russia trying to hack the system. And so I began researching um, the voting machines in particular, and I really had known very little about it. And uh, what I learned fairly early on became very alarming to me in terms of just how vulnerable the systems are, especially compared with with what some of the senior, our uppermost election officials are telling the public. Sure. Um, so I, I started reading some of the IT experts out there, independent um, election, uh, independent computer science professors who study elections, and they were telling us that the situation was much worse than we were being led to believe. And then uh, the research in, researcher in me really came out, so I began looking into who owns the voting machine vendors, I think really trying to reassure myself that even though the systems were really vulnerable, that we had properly vetted the people who um, brought the systems to us and who set them up and that sort of thing, and it turned out to be really the opposite. And it was both um, equal parts fascinating and horrifying. So, you see, and so I started writing about it. Cool. So you're doing this full-time then? I'm doing it full-time on a... Uh, volunteer basis to my husband's great dismay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, hey, I mean, having the ability to do that is amazing. And I, I what you've done and what you've written is so in-depth, and I really think people need to uh, read some of your pieces because they are, I think, broader, bigger, more in-depth takes on everything that people are worried about than most news outlets have have broken down. Um, so if you haven't seen it, and I'll link to this uh, on a tweet, uh, Jennifer wrote a column back in December about the Council for National Policy, which you've probably never heard of. 
Um, it's another one of these kind of shadowy conservative groups. But um, Jennifer, tell us just a little about that and the impact that they've had. Sure. So what brought me to the Council for National Policy was I had already been researching, uh, again, the voting machine vendors and some of the elections that we've had in the United States over the past uh, 15 years or so since we moved to electronic elections that are considered suspect among election integrity advocates. And in particular, I'd read a really great book by an author and advocate named Jonathan Simon, and the book is called Code Red, Computerized Elections. And it had detailed some of, the, some of these suspect elections since 2002. And what happened was I was on social media, and um, another account, uh, this is on Twitter, her name's Amanda Blount, had mentioned this group called the Council for National Policy, and I think she linked to their directory. Which So the Council for National Policy is this, um, it's a secretive group that was formed in the 1980s, and its, it's lists are typically secret, but the um, Southern Poverty Law Center had somehow obtained a copy of its directory in 2014 and had posted it online. And so Amanda Blount had talked about it. She um, had, has had personal experience um, with the religious right in her background. You can check out her account. Go ahead. Sorry. So who are some of the, the, uh, the members of this council? So immediately you go through it, and Kellyanne Conway, um, Steve Bannon, Pence. He, he, actually, Mike Pence is not in the directory, but I, um, he tweeted out that he had joined the Council for National Policy more recently. So the directory is from 2014. He joined it in 2016 or 2017. Um, the, there's Honorable Richard DeVos, who is either, I knew this at one time, he's either Betsy DeVos's husband or her father-in-law. I'm not sure which. There's also uh, Wayne LaPierre of the NRA, and a piece in the New Yorker. I was curious whether the Mercers were in it, and they were not in the directory. But sure enough, when I Googled it, the Mercers are also in the Council for National Policy. Yeah, well, it's so, like a it's like a Justice League of like shitty conservatives. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. And another person who you might not, who maybe a lot of people haven't heard of but is very well known in election integrity circles is Ken Blackwell from, um, he was the Secretary of State of Ohio in 2004. Mm. And he did all kinds of uh, crazy stuff with blocking exit polls. And um, he established a backup server for election results to be routed through this um, hosting company in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So this was Ohio's results were rerouted through a hosting company and or, or a hosting site, whatever that is. And then um, the hosting site also, uh, it also hosted the, R- the RNC, I believe, and a lot of Republican organizations. And at the time, John Kerry's results were, uh, John Kerry was in the lead late in the night in Ohio 2004. And then somehow the results got yeah. routed through Chattanooga and, and lo and behold, he was behind and he lost Ohio. So Ken Crazy. Blackwell was in there. So I was just really struck by the membership list right off the bat. So, um, is this something, is the Council for National Policy anything that um, has become out in the open beyond, you know, articles like you've written, or is this something that these people are kind of trying to keep secret? Well, it's definitely, they keep their list secret, so they are trying to keep it secret. The, 
you know, I didn't even realize this when I wrote my article. At least I don't think I did. But the Southern Poverty Law Center also has a has a really good article about it. Although I don't think it's as in depth as mine, but they're the ones who posted it. I think they they may consider the Council for National Policy to be a hate group, but I could, I could be wrong about that. There has not been a lot of attention on it. Um, Jane Mayer is a really great journalist in uh, in the New Yorker, and She's the one, I think, who wrote the article that mentioned the Mercers were in the Council mm. for National Policy, but she's kind of um, focused on other aspects. She focuses more on the Koch brothers and the Mercers, in the, not so much. It's interesting. You can have the same events, and you cover them with your focus on a different aspect of it. So I might be discussing the same things someone else is discussing, but I'm focused on the Council for National Policy, and they're focused on right. just the Mercers, and it's a footnote to the story about the Mercers. So um, I don't know of any, besides mine in the Southern Poverty Law Center, I don't know anyone else that's done a big expose. Yeah, no, and this is in-depth. Uh, one of your, your bullet points here, number six, uh, yeah. about Kellyanne Conway appearing in the... the 2014 directory, and it says that her interests include campaign election technology. Is that something that we knew about Kellyanne Conway, or is that news? Because it seems like well, that's you know, news to us. When I first read it, and when I first, I've done several versions of this article, I, I tend to do that a lot. I have, um, certainly on my earlier versions of it, I assumed that that meant voting machines. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think it's more of a Cambridge Analytica type of thing. Right. Right. Um, so I don't, and I've been told maybe it isn't that surprising given what her previous job was, which I don't remember exactly what her title was, but I mean, she analyzed election strategies, so it, it makes some sense that she would be interested in campaign election technology. But there are, are quite an alarming number of people in that directory who, who cite that, in addition to Kellyanne, who cite that as an interest. And I, I still find it, I still find it kind of, disturbing and yeah. in fact the guy it's um what is what is the phrase i'm looking for there there is a guy who's in the cnp his name is morton blackwell and he he he's, he had some famous quote where about campaign election technology and i want to say i, I want to say it's a soviet tactic but i may be confusing it with another term um but he has a whole he has a whole training program that the likes of Karl Rove and Jack Abramoff and a lot of um, you know major names and troublemakers in the Republican Party right. they've all gone through his program. And yeah, I'm looking right now. Actually, he has a uh, he has a number of manuals about elections through the Leadership Institute, which is another one of these um, conservative think tanks. Uh, article. Yeah, number, and he also yeah. led college Republicans. The, the Leadership Institute seems it's it's. I think that they, they have all kinds of expressions that came out of these groups right. about bringing, you know, about it being a knife fight and, and Democrats coming with their hands or something like that. They definitely like to play dirty and they. Um, Here's they, one. Here's a quote for political technology determines political success. There you go. It's political technology that is this Soviet tactic. And it actually has to do with mind manipulation. So the campaign election technology is more of the Cambridge Analytica type of stuff. And then political technology has to do, I think, with sort of mind manipulation. And it typically was considered a a tactic used in the Soviet Union, but he took it on. And a good example of that was the whole um, shaming of John Kerry. They brought... 
Right, the swift, the swift boating. Yeah. The swift boating, that was his, his handiwork. So this is Martin right. Blackwell, who is also a, a bigwig in the Council for National Policy. So, you know, reading this article, you see a lot of faces associated with Trump and people in this, you know, draining the swamp world. And yet, yes. you see that, but counter to what... It's counter to what they're saying. I mean, they're they're saying drain the swamp. We don't want to be these neocons. We don't want to be the old conservatives. And yet, this CNP is filled with all of these new guard Trumpians and the old neocons. So, do you do you have any opinion about that at all? Because I find that to be really interesting. That you have someone like Steve Bannon rubbing shoulders with you know, old school. Yes, neocons. I have an opinion. I, I actually think this is, so I think this is sort of the heart of what Hillary Clinton was referring to when she was mocked for saying there was a vast right-wing conspiracy. I think she said that back, I don't know, in the 90s maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is probably more or less what she was referring to. The Council for National Policy, it's a, it's a networking group for the religious right and right. rich billionaires. And I really, and so it actually is like an, it's like an umbrella organization. So there are tons of religious right organizations beneath it. And the idea was to coordinate them all through sort of one mega group, which is this Council for National Policy. Right. And what, what strikes me about it is not just, it's, it is that we have all of these current Trump administration people in it. But if you go back in time, a lot of the um, high profile Republicans dating dating back to the 80s, have also been in the Council for National Policy. And it, it actually seems more, much more coordinated to me than just a, a swamp, even. Right. It, it seems to be a very coordinated organization that has had a goal. And, I mean, their goal is worth just emphasizing. On the front of that 2014 directory, it says that their goal is to assure by 2020 governance that restores religious and economic freedom under the Constitution. So we're talking that those terms, religious liberty right. and economic liberty, it's really that this is really the think tank for it, I think, or one of the major think tanks. And it's been in the works since it formed in about the 1980s, at which point I think it seemed probably really far-fetched to a lot of people, but they... Sure. It seems, far, have, it seems far-fetched now. I mean, honestly, I'm a no, person... No, not to me. Well, no, no, and, and I... I mean, it's not to me now, but when I first read this article and I mm-hmm. had heard about them, but I did not know the the depth to which <laughs> these people had sunk. When you read something, well, he, when you read something like this, it 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 seems it it's like reading about like the Bohemian Grove or the Bilderbergs or some NWO type nonsense. Um, yeah, and I think well, what's really striking to me about it is that it, it it's like it's got these tendrils reaching out to all sort of aspects of our, um, of what it would take to have sort of a seismic shift in the direction of our government. So the Council for National Policy, it has had ties to Russia. I mean, deep-seated, long-standing ties to Russia. Um, Through the, the one of the guys who founded it is is a person named Paul Weirich. Mm -hmm. And I'd never heard of him before, but apparently... He is has been a, he's considered by many to be the father of the modern conservative movement, and he was he co-founded the Council for National Policy with about four other people. But he also co-founded organizations that 
we've heard a lot more about the Moral Majority, the Heritage Foundation, right. ALEC, the Free Congress Foundation. Um, so he was very interested, dating back to the 80s and 90s, in forging bonds between Russia and, and Republicans and, and, and business ties. Here's, actually, here's a quote from your piece. In 1991, Weirich spoke at the inauguration of Russia House, a go-between for Russia and U.S. businesses, said to be the first of its kind. Now, walk me through this, because I'm a little bit dumb. In 1991, no, I'm saying like I'm dumb in the sense that I'm being told these, I'm being told these things by Republicans in late mm-hmm. 80s, early 90s Republicans, Russia's the enemy. We ended the Cold War. This is our, right. you know, our major uh, threat around the world. And here you have the very people making those accusations getting in bed with him. I, the, the Russia connection to me seems so insane. I don't understand where well, it comes it's... from. Where does it where where in your view does the connection and this obsession with working in tandem with Russia come from? Um it could just have it could have had to do with wanting to get rich, just a sort of a money kind of a thing. There is Another aspect to it, which I don't think would have been the main aspect, but it certainly is something to think about, which is that um, the Council for National Policy also has these deep ties to our largest voting machine vendors, and um, and the main one being election systems and software, ESNS. And then another major, major vendor named Diebold Election Systems, which was acquired by ESNS in 20, 2009 and then supposedly dissolved. But it goes back again to this Council for National Policy in Russia because, um, oops, sorry, that's my dog. Oh, no problem. Very upset with me. Um, <laughs> it, oh, my goodness. So the uh, Diebold Election Systems had a, um, it's, it's lobbyist back in 2000 when we, when the legislation was, federal legislation was passed moving us to electronic voting. Their lobbyist was this guy named Jack Abramoff, who I may have even already mentioned tonight. But Abramoff was one of the first members in the in the council. Sorry about that. I think he might be. Abramoff he's he's a member of the, first... of the CNP. Your dog. He's a conservative. I, to, I don't know what's wrong with her. She doesn't normally do this. She's jealous. I guess I had the door shut or something. Anyway, <laughs> so Diebold's lobbyist was Jack Abramoff, who is a member of the Council for National Policy, and. Um, and then with ESNS, it got its early funding from two members of early members of the Council for National Policy, named uh, well families of them. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Howard Amundsen was a very prominent um, Dominionist. That means they really almost Dominionists almost want to establish sort of like a pseudo theocracy in the United States. So he was a very prominent early member, and his family funded. Um, funded Datamark, which became ultimately ESNS. And then there was a guy named Nelson Bunker Hunt, who was a Texas billionaire, also a dominionist, so also sort of wanting this pseudo-theocracy. And he, according to Yes Magazine anyway, he personally funded a company called Business Records Corporation, which was um, merged into... ESNS early on and really made it the powerhouse that it is. So, so but yeah, these three guys, they were all there in the 80s, right? When the early 80s, right? When the Council for National Policy began with Paul Weirich. And oh, and Nelson Booker Hunt was even a co founder 
with yeah. um, Paul Weirich. So, so what what you're saying and what and what you're saying in this article is that it's not just a, an amalgam of all of these big time conservative voices, but their goal, based on the ownership of these. Uh, they basically, seem to want control of the voting apparatus. Um, right. Well, I mean, you saw that, and in your article, you point out the 2000 yeah. election, uh, that being somewhat tied to these people, right? The 2000 presidential election. Well, I think Paul Weirich even took some credit for it. You know, he didn't say that we did anything with the machines, but he said something about. I think, or maybe it was more when it came to the 2004 election that he knew that Bush had to do sort of their bidding or um, something like, or the angels who brought Bush to power wouldn't be there. I'm saying it completely wrong, but it was something to that effect. Sure. So, yeah, I, I think that the Bush elections, Bush was not himself in the Council for National Policy, but his senior advisor, the Karl Rove, who I'm sure you know about, um, he... Probably he he really really went out of his way to court Paul Weirich, and mm-hmm. Paul Weirich was very happy with him for that. And there are a number of articles that I include in my article where he he sort of Paul Weirich gushes about how much effort Karl Rove has put into courting him in the religious right. And it's interesting because Karl Rove actually was I believe an agnostic at best. Maybe he's even an atheist. Um, but I think he really understood that religious ex- extremists will go to extremes that other people won't to achieve power. And so, of course, the question is, where was, how, how extreme were they willing to go? Were they, right. Did they just have control or ownership or whatever of these, of these voting machine vendors, or did they actually do something with them? And what's so scary about electronic elections, just going to, back to that for a minute, is it you don't need a large number of people to know. It really only has to be one or two who can who can um, alter the vote tallies and alter the outcome of an election. So yeah. yeah so, so so the Bush election, although Bush wasn't in the Council for National Policy, his senior advisor had gone out of his way to court them, and he certainly began moving the agenda in that direction, in the direction that would make the council happy because. They're these religious Christian extremists, and they're anti-abortion, and they're um, or anti-choice, and they are anti-LGBTQ, and they want um, Christian schools. They're against public education. So really, starting back even with Bush and his Supreme Court nominations, um, Justice Alito, for example, is apparently quite. I don't know if he's exactly a member of the religious right, but he seems to share a lot of their views. Oh, absolutely. Someone sent me a quote. Yeah. So, so so it really sort of started back then, and we just don't know whether there was tampering or, or not with the machines, but the connections are very disturbing to me. Yeah, and and what what this appears to me like, and what the Trump administration as a whole has, and even what Bush uh, did, is that this isn't just business as usual. Like, like you said, the Hillary Clinton quote, you know, there is a right-wing conspiracy. A vast right-wing, yeah. That's yeah. what this that's what this seems like. That's what this this seems like something far more overreaching than your than your regular corruption or you know pressing people at the polls or you know paying somebody for a little bit of support, right? I mean th- this is a little it does. bit more. It's extremely coordinated. It even goes to the level of propaganda. So another thing that 
is in my article is the um, the Guerrilla Tactics Manual. So Paul Weirich, again, he's one of those co-founders of the Council for National Policy, and he had all these other groups. One of them is called the Free Congress Foundation, mm-hmm. and it had this manual that's still available online where um, I think I even have a quote from it handy here, which I think is it's just really frightening. It says, we will not try to reform the existing institutions. We only intend to weaken them and eventually destroy them. We will maintain a constant barrage of criticism against the left. We will attack the very legitimacy of the left. We will not give them a moment's rest. We will use guerrilla tactics to undermine the legitimacy of the dominant regime. And isn't that, and and really, that's, that's really, sorry, sorry, to cut you, that's, exactly, no, that's exactly what Steve Bannon said prior to and after the election that their goal was to basically destroy the institutions in this country and that's the goal of dominionists as well and right. it's also sort of the goal of economic um the economic libertarian yeah too. if you if you've they, read they actually have you re- this, go ahead i'm sorry <laughs> have you have, no, re- have you read uh, dark money by jane meyer yes it's amazing, oh, and it's, democracy yeah. and chains. Yeah, and, and both of those things highlight what the goal of people like the Koch brothers, the Mercers, Richard Mellon Scaife, their goal is a regulation-free hellscape. Um, and and maybe, yes. maybe that's their goal, and then you have people like the religious extremists whose goal is a theocracy, and where they come together is this hellish collection of these people. So... Well, they also their goals, are, they overlap in the sense that they both want to tear down the existing institutions. Right. And, and there was a lot of overlap, I think, with the um, wanting to defund the uh, defund public education, for example. Right. There's a, there's a lot of overlap between the economic libertarians who want to privatize everything and then the religious right who want to get rid of public education in, in favor of Christian schools. And interesting that Betsy DeVos is the secretary of education. Well, I'm sure, yeah, and I'm sure it is is in no way a coincidence. I mean, there there definitely is this alliance between the economic libertarians and the religious right. And so it kind of started with Rove. I don't know that he would consider himself an economic libertarian. I don't think so. But um, certainly he wasn't particularly religious. And so, but he formed this alliance with the religious right and really empowered them and then I think um, I think that it's really been picked up again more recently with Koch brothers or maybe even percolating through this entire time who also I don't believe are overly religious I think that no and the actually one, Koch, of, one of the brothers is is gay and you know they were yeah he's not one of he's not one of the ruthless no, ones no, though no. I don't think no, or maybe well, he's just relatively unruthless yeah. but yes they do have a gay brother apparently and um I think the father was was perhaps quite religious, and Charles Koch, who's really the sort of the alpha Koch, <laughs> the main Koch, <laughs> he uh, he won an award from the Council for National Policy, and I did read an article which said that they they actually believe in person they they believe in what they call freedom overall. It's really um, freedom from having to uh, have any kind of social accountability, but they also believe in they don't really care what people do in the bedroom. Right. according to this article anyway, but that they forged an alliance, much like Rove did, with the religious right because they didn't have troops on the ground and, and they didn't have the fervor that they needed. So they, they made compromises and they fund all kinds of, the Koch brothers now are funding all kinds of religious right 
universities and other institutions across the country. And I think it's it's this alliance that's been formed. And then there's and then you have the Russia element, which is sort of has been involved really from the beginning, which I, I had not been aware of until after my after this last election and somewhere in there researching the Council for National Policy and Jack Jack Abramoff apparently wanted to be an agent of the for the Russian government back in the nineties. And he's um, you know Again, he was that Diebold lobbyist who he spent time in prison for um, bribing the the congressman who wrote who uh, sponsored and wrote the Help America Vote Act, which brought us uh, electronic voting. So Abramoff went to prison for bribing that guy. Now, for whatever reason, the I think he did a, had a guilty plea, and the charging papers didn't specifically mention anything about Diebold election systems, but. Hmm. It seems to me like it seems to me pretty obvious that it's related. Yeah. So it's. I mean, it's, that the briber, that the bribing of the guy who did the Help America Vote Act. So the, the guy who his name was Bob Nay, and he happened to be from Ohio, which was the battleground state for '04, and this this um, electronic voting bill called the Help America Vote Act was done in the run up to the 2004 election, and so Bob Nay defeated legis. He was the chairman of a committee that that gave him power to defeat legislation that would have required a paper trail. And Diebold Election Systems at that time was the largest vendor of paperless voting machines. Paperless voting machines mean that you don't have anything to compare against the electronic tally to see if they've been manipulated. Right. And so then you have Jack Abramoff, who is a Diebold uh, lobbyist, bribing the guy who defeated the paper trail <laughs> legislation. And for whatever reason... It wasn't mentioned in the criminal papers. They both went to prison related to that bribery, right, but right. they said it had to do with other things, the Indian gaming, and it probably had to do with that too. Jeez. But. So, so, you know, I don't know if it's just me, but I'm sure people tell you when they read your stuff, uh, Jennifer, where's the optimism? Um, actually, someone uh, commented yesterday on a post of mine plugging this uh, appearance with you said she's the best but she always fills me with such dread <laughs> um, <laughs> and I've done my job yeah <laughs> so but but so okay so on that what what do you are are you hopeful are you are you I, just I'm resigned? not an optimist by nature I'm not particular and I'm not an optimist but I I guess I'm old enough and experienced enough that I just believe in doing what you can do and strategizing certainly, and I don't know how it'll turn out. I really don't, but part of what is keeping me sane is doing what I can do. And um, so what, what it is that I can do is, A, um, scare the pants off of people, which I actually think is important because not enough people are scared enough to take action. Right. And then I, the lawyer in me... and isn't isn't okay with just leaving it there. Um, so a while back, I realized I would have to try to look into what the solutions were, which wasn't maybe as intuitively fascinating to me as what the problems were. But um, <laughs> I have spent quite a bit of time on that. So, um, and I'm going to come out with a new article. I'm sh hopefully it probably won't be next week. It'll be the week after, talking about steps that ordinary citizens can take, just putting it all together in one place. Mm -hmm. um, but in the meantime, um, there, I, I can just tell you off the top of my head, there are, there are things that we can still do. Number one, probably most important for people to know, um, is that there still is time for, 
almost every single state, even counties that don't currently that currently use paperless machines, there still is time to move to hand-marked paper ballots for the midterms. There has to be a political will to do it, and it really has to come from the voters making noise, which has not happened yet, which brings me back to the reason why I do want people to be scared, but not scared to vote. I want them scared into action. Right. And right. so I want them to start pressuring, number one, the, um, well, I already said number one, but <laughs> number A, I want them to start pressuring Congress, in particular, to pass Ron, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, has a piece of legislation called the PAVE Act, and it would require that states give voters the option, all voters the option to mark their ballots by hand. And this is really important. Um, some of my ar other articles have talked about the dangers of touchscreen voting machines, even those that supposedly print a computer-marked paper ballot. It's just not the same as a hand-marked paper ballot. It's actually a lot more complicated than it sounds. So if anyone's interested, they can read my articles on it on Medium. And if you really want to advocate for this, I recommend doing that because people will try to trip you up. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, They'll tell you it's all the same, and what, it's, it's really not. What's so, un what's so unfortunate about this particular uh, topic is mm -hmm. that there's nothing fun in it. And I don't mean that. Well, I don't mean that to take anything away. Everything that is interesting away. is Trump Russia to me. The historical stuff really yeah. is. No, I, I mean from an advocacy standpoint, it's very easy for people to get up and march about other people's rights and all sorts of you know other um, you know, bigger I don't, issues. I don't agree. I think this is. I think this has all those elements. What's unfortunate about no, I, it? No, I, 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 I'm not saying it's not. I totally agree with the importance. I put it as the premier issue. I'm saying from just like a from marketing the the issue as something people need to pay attention to, I think is the challenge. I think that's probably why. Yes. That's my point. It's not, I, not, not that it's I, not And I, I, I know that that was your point. What, what I guess I meant to say is that I don't think it's inherently uninteresting to most people. What I think has happened, though, is, um, well, there's something called confirmation bias. I was a psychology major, and mm -hmm. and. Um, I read about this recently, and it, it seems to me to be true that we all have been, or many of us, were raised to believe that as Americans that we had this perfect democracy, or the best democracy anyway. Not, right. not perfect, but the best. And we even had, Democrats even had um, our leader, Obama, who many of us loved, and I still love, who frankly wasn't, wasn't straightforward with us, whether he knew it or not, telling us that our elections were secure. And it's incredibly difficult to get past that once people if pe it's almost like brainwashing so right. if you've been raised to think that and then you we have really our, our top election officials so there's the election assistance commission the head of it is a guy named tom hicks who's actually a democrat and he's out there lying or not or misleading really telling people that our systems are secure because um, he says the voting machines don't connect to the Internet, which, A, isn't true, and even if it were true, they still wouldn't be secure, and it, it gets a little bit complicated, but sure, you have all these people spreading misinformation, and even the national election integrity groups, some of them, not necessarily with, I think, not with bad intentions, but some of them maybe have felt like they, everyone was so disinterested in the past that if we can get any type of paper at all, they should compromise and take that as a victory. But we're so far past that right now with Russia specifically targeting our elections that we can't settle for, it's maybe slightly better than what we have now, which is complete crap, what we have now. We, we can't settle for um, something like a touchscreen voting machine for all voters. There's all kinds of problems with them. 
but we have these national, this one national election integrity group that is acting well, that, that is maybe a little too willing to compromise. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's incredibly difficult to get past that because there isn't any, there aren't any established leaders out there that are making noise for the right thing, except Senator Wyden really is one of them. And there's another bill actually in the house. Some, one of my friends on Twitter, Holly Mosher, keeps talking, keeps asking me about the SAFE Act, and she's right. I looked at it again yesterday. That's also a really good bill that's been around longer even than the PAVE Act. So we have the PAVE Act in the Senate and the SAFE bill in the House are both really good. Um, so anyway, we yeah. should advocate for the PAVE Act. And there is still, unfortunately, those acts don't have implementation dates till 2020, but we can demand that they move it up to 2018, and we, we must do that. At least still time, because even paperless states um, typically have paper absentee ballots, and they use they count them on scanners, which means they already do have scanners. So if they think that there's not enough time to train everybody to hand count, which I frankly would prefer hand counting, but it would be better, I think, if we did hand counted election night. But if we can't do that or they won't do that, they do already have scanners they could use, and mm-hmm. it might take a little longer to process everyone's ballots um, if they were absentees, but they absolutely could do it, and there absolutely is still time for that. Yeah. So that, that is the bright, that is on the bright side. On the <laughs> not so bright side is it's hard to sure. convince people of that. And, right. um, and the other thing, there is one other, well, there's several other things that I think are that we can do that are not they're even more achievable maybe which is just demanding paper backups for all the electronic poll books so on the depressing side we have all of these states suddenly moving to electronic poll books just as Russia is targeting our elections and specifically seems to be targeting voter registration voter registration information I think they get net they're networked even with um, you know, the voter rolls for the whole state in the, in the run-up to the elections. And the, the, a big problem is, is that if they crash on election day, people just can't vote if they don't have paper backups. And <laughs> it's happened a few too many times where we have counties that they don't have the paper backups at the, yeah. the polling place, which is crazy. We can't allow that. So certainly we can make noise for that, and we should be able to achieve that. So... Well, those are those are achievable things, and I think we've got to shout it from the rooftops that there is something we can do to offset this, this, you know, lame Justice League that's working to basically subvert America. But last question for you, and I ask everyone this: What do you think the result of the 2018 midterms is right now? What do I think it will be? Yeah, what do you think we walk out of? November 7th or 8th or whatever it is with what result? Oh, I, you know, I have no idea. I don't even know whether it'll be manipulated on a broad scale or not. There's no way to predict fraud really. Yeah. But okay. So but I'm, okay. I'm, but in your assessment from everything you've written and read, do you think it goes Democrat? Do you think there is some large scale fraud? Do you think like as the, as the chips have fallen now, where we are, if things continue, I, I would love to give you an answer. I just really can't. I mean, there's there's the option for one thing. It's a it classic could be that lawyer. Well, I think that we have a really good chance if we can keep the fraud at bay. The way things are right now, 
we would not succeed in keeping the fraud at bay. On the other hand, there's no guarantee that just because elections can be hacked, there's no guarantee that they will be. So, I mean, it might be strategically make more sense to not do something with the 2018 election. And then it may be that people haven't decided. And a really important point to make, by the way, Mm -hmm. is that our elections have always been vulnerable. And there have always been suspicious election outcomes with massive swings from the exit polls to the official results. Ever since we moved to electronic voting, it's almost always been toward a redshift. And so it can very easily be domestic actors interfering, especially when we're talking vote tallies. I think it is maybe unlikely that Russia would would have anything to do with the vote tallies. They may be more interested in denial of service attacks, making things like electronic poll books just crash, or touchscreen ballot markers and touch screen voting machines just yeah. crash so that you can't vote at all rather than actually flipping votes but well jenny i, I just can't predict yeah i can't predict that's God. fine I can't. no no that's fine and i you know yeah. i think you just scare the shit out of people even more if you did so <laughs> uh Sorry. no no it's a look uh, there is truth and fear um but i want to thank you so much for coming on this was incredibly enlightening um and i'd, I'd love to have you back on anytime so uh, Jennifer Cohn, you can follow her on Twitter at Jenny Cohn one and, uh, your medium, uh, long form work can be found where? Uh, it's just on medium.com. I think you just searched for my name, Jennifer Cohn. It's spelled okay. C-O-H-N. Well, Jennifer, it's been a pleasure and, and thank you so much for coming on. It's been great. Thank you. It was really fun and interesting. Thanks so much for having me on. That was one of, I think, the best conversations that I've personally had. I don't mean just like on a podcast. She, her drive to understand what these people are trying to do to this country is, is remarkable. There's nobody doing what she's doing. There really isn't. Go out there and show me something on Politico or New York Times or any news site that offers that level of in-depth, rigid investigative reporting into something that nobody knew about. How many of you could say you knew about the Council for National Policy? Or that most states only do electronic ballots. People don't know this. That's what's so fascinating. There's so much out there that has been hidden, has been covered up, has been kept from us. But it's great that we have people like Jennifer Cohn who can, who can do the work to investigate what's really happening. So I, for one, I mean, yes, it's, it's a very dark and cynical world to live in where you're constantly talking about these secret cabals of people behind the scenes, but it's important and it's real. And if we don't, if we don't start talking about it, we're done. That's it. It's over. And it could be over now. It could be too late because we didn't talk about this kind of thing. We didn't choose to say, Hey, you know what? It's kind of weird that all these, these sort of different thinkers like the Koch brothers and Carl Rove and Bannon and the Mercers, that they're all getting together and creating policy. But I guess it's better late than never. So you know what to do. You know what you have to do. You got to vote in November against the interests of billionaires, against the interests of theocrats, against the interests of all of these people. Because they have no one's interests but themselves at heart. 
So thank you for listening. We'll, we'll be talking a lot. And take care. Listen, I don't want a president who's warm on the outside and warm on the inside. I want one that's warm on the outside, but I want one who, when the tough decisions are made, is cold and tough and will make the right decision without it.